You're listening to the Pop Culture Nerd Podcast with Patrick Green and Vincent Simpson. On today's show, we will be comparing two of the top horror films of the last decade, Hereditary and Midsummer. If you like the podcast, be sure to follow us on Spotify and to email your questions and comments to popculturenerd2 at gmail.com. Welcome to the Pop Culture Nerd Podcast, back again with my co-host today, Vincent Simpson. And this time we're going to be comparing two movies and hopefully make this a regular segment. And today we're going to be doing Hereditary versus Midsommar. Hello, how are you? I'm good, Vincent, and I'm really excited to talk to you about uh, these two movies, even though we're over Zoom and still separated. Uh, but I just watched Midsommar and I just watched Hereditary both for the first time. I know you've seen both movies several times, um, but upon first seeing them, I just want to say, like, even though we'll be comparing which one's better or worse in certain elements, I love both movies. I think they're excellent horror movies, and I love this sort of cultural renaissance of horror that we've been seeing mm -hmm. the last few years. Yeah, it kind of started off... I, it, it's, like, hard to pinpoint where it started. It started with A24. Like, they were the people that really, like, pushed it forward but I think like the movie that kind of kick-started it was Cabin in the Woods because Cabin in the Woods was sort of this social statement on horror as a genre at that at that point in time and it's sort of like I think it kind of pushed more like creative horror filmmakers to be like we can do some creative stuff with this yeah I know that's one of my favorites too recently and, and you showed me that one um, I love Cabin in the Woods and I think it's such a good like surrealist approach at like there's no need to explain away plot points. There's no need to over um, explain things that don't make sense to an audience. You accept the supernaturalness of the movie uh, because the characters do. And that's kind of what I like about Hereditary. It's what I like about movies like Us and Get Out, um, ones that are Jordan Peele's, uh, Jordan Peele written and produced and directed. And these ones are written and directed by Ari Aster, who will get into talking about because he's become a big name working with mm -hmm. A24 on his movies. Um, and we'll start with Hereditary. What's just some overall thoughts that, uh, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of Hereditary? Um, miserable. Uh, that's the first thing. It's a very miserable experience, even though I love the movie. It's um, the first time I watched it, I was kind of just blown away by everything it was doing. Like, just because like I was like there I have seen there are so many movies that do similar things that it's doing but Ari Aster is a very postmodern filmmaker he does he's like the two things I've seen and I've also seen a couple of his shorts like he does things that have been done a million times before but he does it in ways that feel fresh and new like the same with his like thesis film the strange thing about the Johnsons was kind of like taking this sort of like thing that you expect in like these dark and uh, screwed up family dramas and like put a twist on it and it's a similar thing with Hereditary and what I liked about Hereditary is it's a very like you could view it throughout the entire runtime as a specific family drama with no supernatural element but the supernatural element is what elevates the metaphor kind of yeah I think that's true and I also just think uh I want to I don't want to undersell how scary it is. It's just a really scary movie. Fundamentally, you feel it inside you when you're watching it. Maybe even more so than Midsummer in some instances. Um but I was genu genuinely scared watching Hereditary. We have a whole setup in my backyard uh where we've got a projector and a big screen and Vincent and I were watching it in the pitch black and I remember being really scared at points because we've just got the black all surrounding us. It's a very dark movie. There's scenes with light and scenes in the daytime, but a lot of it takes place at night, uh, which is the big uh, comparable thing to Midsummer, where Midsummer takes place pretty much all in the daytime. At the very beginning of the movie, you see a lot of darkness and a lot of night uh, in the initial tragedy and the rising action. But later in the movie, when they're in, uh, uh, in Europe, I guess they're in Sweden, right? Mm, yeah they're in yeah they're in sweden yeah i think they're in sweden and it's a cult sort of uh commune so it's all light all the time basically there's only a couple mm -hmm. hours of darkness so it almost in some ways makes it more impactful what's going on and more scary that it's light out there's something mm -hmm. just so fundamentally scary and terrifying uh as like darkness and someone hunting you down in the dark like in hereditary 
Yeah. And like Hereditary, there's always that like creeping thing. It's like, because with Hereditary in comparison to Midsommar is, Hereditary is a movie that kind of keeps doing left turns as it goes. Like you don't really know where exactly it's going the whole time. And that sort of factors into like the way that the movie looks. It's all very dark and dingy and kind of like disgusting. And it just makes you feel kind of like gross on the inside. And it's kind of just, it helps that. And in comparison to Midsommar, the contrast of how everything is light, it kind of has to do with like, yeah, everything is like bright, but like we know something's going on. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, in contrast to Hereditary, it's like what's going to happen next with Midsommar. It's kind of, you know, what's going to happen next, but you just don't know how it's going to happen. It's exactly what I was just thinking. And I want to preface that this is a spoiler discussion. So if you haven't seen the movies, you might want to back away before we get into like the meat of both of them. But in Midsummer, you basically know from the beginning that this isn't going to end well for the characters. You have a select group of characters going into a remote area um, and people who you just can tell right away are seemingly nice, but there is something slightly more sinister behind their, uh, behind their face and behind their culture as well. Um, but overall, I mean, it still keeps you guessing at times. Hereditary probably more so, but even Midsummer, I mean, just the gruesome ways that people are killed. Yes. It's mind-blowing at times. I remember watching it and just thinking, oh my God, I can't believe you went this far. Yeah, with, with Hereditary, with Midsummer. sorry, yeah. With Midsummer. I think what makes those deaths particularly effective is specifically the scene where um the elderly man falls off the cliff and he doesn't die. Like he's in pain and he's like, his legs are broken on the floor. Like the sound design, it's such a small detail, but I think because the fact that like when it shows them smashing the mallet on the guy's head and it, like his head smashes, you just hear like a tiny pat you don't hear like a melon squishing sound effect, which probably would have made it so overly comical. You just hear a pat and it's like somehow even more like visceral and gross that way. Yeah, definitely. And also just like the depictions of people dying and how you, if you look back on the movie uh, at the very beginning of Midsummer, there's a mural and there's murals all throughout the picture that are just like, explaining what's going to happen so if you've seen the movie re-watching it is something i highly recommend because you get to see all the things that are going to happen in the background on portraits and on uh, murals inside the commune and even at the very beginning uh, of the movie as well hereditary is a little bit less so i mean there is some foreshadowing but nothing as major necessarily as midsummer and midsummer everything is sort of alluded to from the beginning Mm -hmm. um so just to get into Hereditary, um, obviously these are two movies that came back to back, back to back years, um, and both were for the most part successes. Um, they didn't necessarily make an insane amount of money, but I know that as an independent company, A24 is really just focused on getting the best movies out there, and they were both pretty much critical successes as well. Midsummer a little bit less so. Um. I haven't looked at a lot of the, like, the critical stuff for Midsommar, even though I did note it, like, when Hereditary came out, it, like, people absolutely fell in love with that movie. But yeah, Midsommar seems to have much more of a, like, flip, uh, not not flip-flop, whatever. I'm trying to think of, like, a good, like, way to describe it. It, Midsommar seems to have more people divided about it like in comparison. And I just think it might have to do with the fact that it's longer. And I think that's the main genuine reason as to why that's the case. <laughs> I think there's a couple of reasons. I think that's definitely part of it. Um, I think people who maybe saw Hereditary first had a different expectation for what Midsummer was going to be. And I think that's where I benefited, benefited actually, is because I saw Midsummer first. And then I watched mm. Hereditary. And I think that was almost the right way to go because Midsummer was so good when I saw it, but I didn't have any expectations. I was like, this is going to be a really just interesting and symbolic movie in a lot of ways. And I was scared, but I was also just really interested in the writing process and the cinematography. 
But then when I saw Hereditary, it was kind of a completely different experience. So if you had seen his first horror movie or his first big horror movie, Hereditary, you might then think, oh, wow, this next movie is going to be even scarier. It's going to be even better. And then maybe you weren't as scared mm-hmm. and maybe you then had a negative review. Yeah, like that's the other thing because they are going for, even though there are similarities between the two, I think they're going, they're trying, offering very different experiences as you watch them. And my experience with both of them was I had seen Hereditary first, but the difference was I did not watch Hereditary in the theater and I saw Midsommar in the theater and that might have affected my overall experience over it because of just the fact that the first time I saw Hereditary, I saw it with a bunch of people and a lot of us were kind of like talking over it. And like, we were like certain scenes might not have had as much emotional effect, like have may not have been as emotionally effective if I had seen it, if I were to do what I did with um, Robert Eggers movie, the witch and which I essentially, I like turned off all the, I like shut the blinds. I turned off all the lights, covered myself in a blanket. And I was like, all right, I'm ready to get spooked. Like that wasn't really what I did the first time I watched hereditary. And the second time I watched it, that was what I did. Right, and that's basically what we did when we were watching it all together. And as a group, even if even though some parts you laugh at and you find it funny, and yeah, uh, certain <laughs> things, it still is. It still is um, really scary. And like even while you're laughing, like deep down, you're like, "Man, I am genuinely terrified watching this movie." That's another thing that I wanted to bring up in comparison to Midsummer and Hereditary. There are a lot of sequences in both movies that could be misconstrued, not misconstrued, just viewed as comical but i think midsummer has more of a self-awareness to those like sequences in that movie because there is no way you could shoot that sex scene and not like realize how ridiculous it looks because like that scene made me burst out laughing in the theater and like everybody else was like what is going on (laughs) yeah definitely uh there's a lot of that in midsummer and not to mention the fact that there is a character written in who's literally just a comedic character i mean that's his oh yeah will poulter yeah will poulter's character in that movie is just the very pessimistic you know arrogant american guy who is just like a jerk all throughout it and not Mm -hmm. accepting anything um but is also hilarious and we don't have that in hereditary at all most of the people in hereditary are sad figures they're tragic figures in a way Mm -hmm. um there's a lot of spoiler mental illness in the family obviously it's called hereditary but Mm -hmm. that leads you to not necessarily think that they're like a comical character or they're funny in any way unlike midsummer where people are actually cracking jokes in midsummer yeah i mean the 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 closest thing we have are like those the the opening sequence of the party like before it gets into like um before it gets into millie shapiro's character um starting to have the allergic reaction it's very awkward and very like it feels like an actual high school party which I find humorous and like the high school sequences before like all of the shit ends up starting to hit the fan because like the way they're talking about I think it was um I think they're talking about Oedipus or something in in the class maybe something around I think they're talking about it's either that or some kind of Roman mythology or something yeah yeah, because they because that's just like a thing. Like if you, if you're making a movie and there are scenes where people are like talking in a classroom, like you have to have like the subject they're talking about come into play in terms of the actual story that's being presented in the movie because otherwise that's kind of just like lazy like script writing if you don't do that. Like right. Because they mention that in Hereditary where he's like where they're in the class and somebody brings us up where they're talking about this, whatever play it is. He's like, yeah, he's ignoring the signs that are like right in front of him the whole time. And I'm like, that's literally what they're doing. Like all those signs for payment that are like plastered all over the town. Right. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of foreshadowing in that movie. Um, there's probably more in Midsummer, but both have very similar uh, styles in that way. Okay. So Vincent, we have a couple other themes to go into about, Midsummer and Hereditary, the first obvious one is the light versus the dark, but the more kind of behind the scenes one is the fact that there's more supernatural elements and less supernatural supernatural elements in the other. So for example, Hereditary, obviously they're summoning a demon (laughs) to come Mm -hmm. into the boy's body and inhabit him, the son's body, uh, Peter. And 
the demon lord Payman or whatever he is, he it is Payman <laughs> ends up coming into the real world at the end of the movie. Payman the Eighth King of Hell, or you could interpret it as uh, he just went crazy. <laughs> That's another way you could look at it, but I do think that he really goes. I think he kind of jumps into the deep end with the supernatural stuff at the by the end, because mm-hmm. pretty much throughout the movie, um, I always kind of had that feeling. I was always like, well, this is symbolism for this, and this is symbolism for their mental illness and what's going on with them and how they're going crazy. But then by the end, I'm like, okay, maybe they're just actually summoning payment. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, where on the other hand in Midsummer, Midsummer is more about a cult and their beliefs. And to them, it's an element of supernatural, but there's not actually anything supernatural that happens. They get high and they take uh, psychedelics and they try mushrooms and try tea and all kinds of things. But it's mm-hmm. all things that, pretty much really exist in our world right now yeah yeah um it's such a hard way to talk about the comparison between the two because i think even though i do like the way that it goes in hereditary i remember the first time i watched it i kind of wasn't really into the hook as much as I was expecting it to be when they revealed, oh, okay, so there's, like, this actual demon that's trying to be, like, sucked in or, like, being planted into a male body or whatever. And as Midsommar progressed in comparison, I actually liked the fact that it was all just very matter-of-fact what was actually, like, what was being presented whenever it was, like, strange, it was normally just characters on hallucinogens. Right. I, th- I think the same way. And in a lot of movies, the supernatural elements of it take me out of the movie a lot of the time. Like I kind of say to myself, oh, okay, it's going to be this type of movie. or, oh, And I always look for a little bit of um, data and like factual evidence to like back it up and kind of think and supplant myself in my brain, which like I don't need in Hereditary, to be honest. I kind of like the elements of mm-hmm. supernatural um, because I do at times, I mean, these type of things are all over culture and all over history and things. And it's so cool to see it presented in that format, like a group, a cult that is actually prevalent and just uh, not out in the open, but laying back and have their set of beliefs and then their beliefs come to fruition at the end of the movie. It's kind of Mm -hmm. a cool way of doing it. And it's different than a lot of other um, cult horror movies of the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I even though I haven't seen The Wicker Man in, like, forever, I distinctly remember... There might have been some sort of supernatural thing that happened. I don't think there is. Or I might just be um, mistaking it for the, the remake with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's is, obviously uh, the superior version. Yeah, well, of course. Everything with... It, I, you just take a movie... I, I hate to go in a little bit of a tangent, but Ari Aster, his next movie, Nicolas Cage says that he wants to be a part of Ari Aster's next film, which I am so down because I, as a person who really enjoyed Mandy, I love Nicolas Cage <laughs> going full Nicolas Cage in a stylized horror. I would love so. to see Nicolas Cage just full on Nicolas Cage with a good director who like actually has something in mind. Like that would be honestly kind of cool. It would be ridiculous. And it might take everyone out of it, but I'd be cool with it. Um, he's yeah, gonna yeah. do. He's gonna do a more a comedy, right? Isn't it a comedy with horror? A he horror said like comedy? zonky nightmare comedy, or so he worded it very strangely. I don't remember. <laughs> I mean, I'm cool with that. I trust him at this point to make a good movie, so I'm mm-hmm. excited for whatever he has next. I mean, he had two heavy hitters in a row uh, in yeah. two years, so we'll see how long it takes him to do this last one. But it sounds like he's really got a lot of ideas. He's uh, he's going with and hopefully he does more collaboration with a24 i mean we could do we could do a whole podcast on a24 movies and our favorite a24 movies but like just to preface and just to keep it short or not preface just to make keep it as succinct as possible um we love a24 and we love what they do and i really like the fact that they're exploring all these different genres even though we've discussed in the past how they kind of have a hard time marketing their horror movies yeah, but that's just because, like, most of the stuff that they make, most of the horror movies aren't traditional horror. Because, like, that's the same you could say for Hereditary and Midsommar, because there's not, neither of them are, tra- like, Hereditary is more traditional horror than Midsommar is, but they both have horror elements. And it's the same with The Lighthouse, it's the same with It Comes at Night, because The Lighthouse isn't even really a horror movie, but it was still marketed as one. Even Killing of a Sacred Deer has a lot of horror elements. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot true. of A twenty four movies like that. I also think though that production companies in general uh, have a hard time marketing horror movies unless they're just traditional horror slasher movies. Like they don't. I think the thing that a lot of companies want to be able to do is to say like, "Oh, this is the scariest movie of the summer," and like you're mm-hmm. gonna be just shaking in your boots, basically. And that's not how these movies are. I mean, you're yeah. scared fundamentally, but the Jordan Peele movies and these two movies, there's way more layers to them than just a slasher mm-hmm. movie where you're scared and there's a bunch of jump scares. That's not yeah, how yeah. they are. That's just the one thing because every single time these horror movies come out into these like tiny festivals, it plays it like the tiny festival. You find that one critical blurb that's like, oh, the scariest movie since The Exorcist. And then it gets released into the wild. And then people go, nothing happens. That was a boring movie. And The Exorcist isn't scary. It's boring and funny because a child swears. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think these movies are necessarily for the widest of audiences. I think that these movies have a subset of people who just love them. And I think anyone Mm -hmm. who gives them a chance would really like them. But I could see people being turned off by a lot of elements. I think more people could get into hereditary. Like, I think there's a way to sell hereditary um, mm-hmm. to the average fan of horror who just sees it as a straight horror movie. You could sell it that way, but yeah. I don't think you could sell Midsummer that way, to be honest. That's very, I totally agree with that. Hereditary, honestly, out of like every horror film, like that A24 has released, I think hereditary is probably the one that you could market as a straightforward horror movie and not have people be disappointed because the other two horror, big horror movies that came out that year were Suspiria and Climax, which are two movies that were like totally, people were so on the fence between those two movies because they gave such visceral responses from people and like because those movies are just like specifically climax climax is a very unconventional horror movie and the fact that it scares you but in a way that like makes you want to vomit like wow mm-hmm. well, i really like i mean we could go on and on about it but i just really enjoy the way a24 has kind of grabbed these movies that aren't just straight horror traditional horror even a movie like Ex Machina, or like I said before, Killing of a Sacred Deer, they both have horror elements kind of in them, uh, or scenes where the director mm-hmm. kind of explores yeah. different things. They don't have to keep it straight action or just horror or just suspense. It can be a mm-hmm. mix of all different tropes and yeah. angles and cinematography. So I really like that. And um, it gives further, like, um, it, it, makes, it makes the director, like, be able to flower more in terms of, like, what they want to do because... Alex Garland, the director of Ex Machina, he got more creative reign on his next movie, Annihilation. And that movie is much more horror in comparison to Ex Machina. So you can see like those seeds being planted there. Yeah, right. Even though, That's definitely true. Yeah. Yeah, so now we're going to try to get into a couple uh, more rapid fire questions and we'll see if we can get through all of these. So we've got some things that we want to compare between the movies that we we've been talking up both of them, but we got to pick one or two in these categories. So first let's keep it simple. Go with what's the best score midsummer hereditary better music in the background. Uh, what mm. keeps you in the movie? What takes you out of the movie? And just what do you like about their scores? I'm going to go with hereditary. I think I'm also going to go with hereditary, yeah. um, but I'm interested to hear your reasoning before mine. Um, well, Hereditary, even though I love the scores for both, but, and most of the score doesn't really come to the forefront of either movie until the ending of both movies, because then the music starts swelling and gets very more, much more bombastic in comparison to like how the score is like building up towards the end for both films. But with Hereditary, there's also like those tiny seeds in there and something that you may have noticed when we were watching it, there are a lot of, I, I might've mentioned this to you guys, but the score for Hereditary was made by Colin Stetson. And what he did was he composed it almost like entirely out of saxophone noises. Like the entire time. Yeah, I find that really, really cool. Uh, especially because of how synthetic it is and how um, aggressive it is at times. And I love the way like, in that score, in Hereditary in particular, 
they know when to bring it in and when to go full on and just keep it blaring the saxophone noises and then they know when to completely pull it back and play it at the right times it's perfectly timed and a lot of movies don't have the right timing i mean they might have a great score but they don't know exactly when to pull back and when to have a scene where it's just silent and there's no score and when to go full on and like the climax of the movie, obviously in Hereditary, the climax of the movie is what most people identify with the score because of all the memes it's in and because of <laughs> how, popular it, how popular it is. I mean, even on like Spotify, when you go to like the Hereditary soundtrack, like the last song is like the most popular song on there by mm-hmm. far. I mean, people Thank you, are TikTok. Very cool. <laughs> yes. Well, TikTok has become its own, a mind of its own in terms of that stuff. But for actual, like, film fans and, like, cinephiles, like, they love that score. Um, Mm -hmm. Probably more so than Midsummer, even though Midsummer has a really good score, too. Um, It's just, it works. They both work, but I think I have to pick Hereditary. Yeah. So our next one's a little harder. This is best acting as a cast. So not just any individual performance, um, just the the cohesion of the cast. I think I'm going to go with Hereditary for this one, too. Okay. I think I'm also going to go with Hereditary. And I feel bad because I've, I'm now picking them twice in a row, and we both are. Yeah. I wish I could take <laughs> the other point of view. But they just seem like a family. Like, they seem like a family dynamic of where mental illness is a problem and things aren't talked about correctly sometimes, and sometimes they're blamed on each other. Um, they yeah. felt real to me. Like, I could see them, and I felt like I was in their living room and felt like I was in their kitchen. Yeah. I think the reason I picked this over Midsommar was I think it every, each member of the family gets their opportunity to shine. And you don't really get that with like the main cast of Midsommar. Like every single scene, there's that great scene in the car where the dad just like breaks down crying. And the same with like the, with um, Millie Shapiro's character. Um, what's Charlie, I think Charlie, her name yeah. is. Yeah, Charlie. And like Charlie, her acting like before she gets her head chopped off is great. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, Tony Collette, obviously one of the biggest snubs this entire, that entire year for performance. She was incredible in that movie. And Alex and let's Wolf. Not forget, that, yeah, Alex Wolf, I was going to say. I mean, For the most was, part, for the most part. <laughs> for the most part. I mean, there are a couple scenes that we looked at and we said, okay, he may have gone, in the, in the words of George Lucas, too far in a couple of places. But in general, yeah. he seemed scared. He seemed like a kid and he, seemed, yeah, he, he just went for it. He had absolutely, there was nothing wrong with his performance in terms of when he was scared, like that scene in the classroom where he breaks his nose is like incredibly brutal and his performance really sells it. But there are also those scenes specifically like after they do the the seance or whatever, and then he starts crying and he sounds like somebody making fun of another person crying. (laughs) Right. And also the, there are a couple parts that I, and I kind of surrounded everyone like, okay, (laughs) this is taking me out. (laughs) But I did like the cast a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and Midsummer, I don't want to leave out Midsummer because they had a really good cast too. But I think you're totally right in that this Hereditary was much more of an ensemble, um, whereas Midsummer Florence Pugh kind of stole the show and the other. Yeah, cast, it's very or, much about her. Yeah, she had a supporting cast and she was the star. Well, yeah, but that I mean that factors into like the theme of the movie about how it's essentially like every character is essentially meant to represent some sort of microcosm about her, basically, and it's it's about her, but the rest of the movie suffers in terms of the ensemble. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. So going off of that, we have best standout performance. So basically, picking you know one actor from each movie to go head to head. The obvious choices are Florence Pugh. Uh, and Tony Coletti or Colette, I think it's Coletti. I'm Collette. not entirely sure. Oh, Colette. Okay. Yeah. Well, Collette. Florence Pugh versus Tony Colette. Uh, and uh, I'll let you go first because I haven't totally made up my mind, but I think I know what direction I'm leaning. I've figured out what direction I'm leaning, and I think I'm going to go with Florence Pugh on this one. So. Yeah, I was leaning towards Florence Pugh, um, but I kind of want to make the argument on behalf of Tony Colette because she was amazing too. So. I'll let I'll, I'll hear your reasoning first, and then I'll see if I can combat it. Um, 
So with Florence Pugh, I think it genuinely just has to do with the fact that the movie is essentially the vehicle for her character. Whereas that's why, like, I'd say best overall cast goes to Hereditary, but the best leading performance goes to Florence Pugh, mostly just because it's her movie and the film is essentially about her and like her connections with these characters and like her connection with how the cult essentially, and like, that's just what her like Midsommar is about, like how cults take people who are broken and sort of build them up into this thing. Yeah, I think that's right. And I also think that, I mean, you can't go wrong with either of these uh, actors. They both were just amazing. Um, but Florence Pugh certainly was the focal point of that movie. And you really needed her to have a great performance to, to run the movie and to go with it. But one could make an argument and see if you agree with me. I don't know if you will. That Tony Collette had more power possibly to, if her acting was poor or if it wasn't necessarily up to the standard of the rest of the cast, where she could have maybe sunk the movie because she was a really, really important cog in that big cast. Um, and I think she does it perfectly. She's amazing. And I think that she almost steals the show from the others. Um, so I think it's really important that both had great performances, but in some ways mm -hmm. I see the family dynamic not working if Tony Collette isn't in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I totally see that. That's like one of the reasons why I picked Florence Pugh over Tony Collette. And it's because I kind of see that a bit, I kind of view it a bit differently in comparison to how you view it, because I think that the other performances generally hold up extremely well in comparison to her performance. And that's why. Yep. Well, let's see if we can go into the next round then. We have the two side characters who uh, we just mentioned before, but Alex Wolf as Peter and Jack Rayner as Christian in Midsommar. So I think for this one, I would have to go with Alex Wolf. I mean, we just gonna, talked. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I assume you're going to also go with uh, Hereditary. I think I'm going to go with Jack Rayner. Oh, all right. I want to take some defense. Good. Yeah, I want or you take to take offense. Yeah, well, or whatever. <laughs> Well, you can take defense here because I'll argue for, for Alex. I think that even though we noticed a couple parts where he may have overacted and we also noticed that a couple times, or I didn't notice this, but I heard about this and read about it, that he sort of went into the uh, taking it too seriously mode of going around set and acting like he was the character and staying in character. Yeah. And even like <laughs> driving around Millie Shapiro in the back of his car, like to get a feel for the character, which was a little odd to me. Like, I don't know why you need to do that uh, when all that happens is the cars are head getting chopped off. But uh, yeah. I thought he was good, though. I thought that even if some parts were overdone, I thought that he pulled back in the right places and I thought he overdid it in the right places. And I, and I really liked his performance. He was hmm. a scared teen and he seemed like a real teenager to me. Yeah, that's why I went with um, Christian, like the performance for Christian, because I have met students at Ithaca who are just like this like this aloof sort of person who kind of just doesn't really care about like what he wants to do with his life who's kind of just in college because he was sort of thrown into it as if it's like the thing that you're expected to do when you turn 19 and like he def he captures the spirit of that college student who's kind of like drifting off of people who he's, he's pretty much just aloof the entire time. And I think it really shows in his performance, especially since he's on psychedelics most of the time as well. Yeah, I, I think it's also hard because, um, I mean, he does a great job at portraying a character who is kind, who, who you dislike. Um, and that's mm -hmm. kind of hard because sometimes you conflate your dislike for the character with the actor and you're thinking, oh, this actor, like he's really not, uh, going into it enough he's not taking up but no the, the guy is aloof the guy he's playing is aloof so I think that's a really good point and I also think that um, you need him to be able to be someone like that for Florence Pugh's character to shine and to do well mm -hmm. um, you really need like a good supporting person who uh, shows the flaws that he has um, and highlights the her eventual um, ending and her coming to terms with everything in the end of the movie and the climax. Um, so moving on from our cast, let's go do a uh, a fun one. Best cinematography. Oh, this is hard. <laughs> or best <sighs> cinnamon topography. As some cinnamon topography, yes. 
uh, <laughs> I have this running gag with like a couple of my roommates that I'm moving in with once I go back to school where it's like whenever we talk about cinematography we're like oh yeah the cinematography was mind-blowing oh in what aspects uh, it, it looked nice <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think that's like true about most movies and what people <laughs> say about them um, yeah in terms of like the overall look of them I mean both these movies look great but if I had to pick cinematography award it would be midsummer for me mm-hmm. um but it's really close because hereditary yeah. and we were just talking about this i love the way they frame everything with the figurine sets that uh tony collette's character as the mother is working on throughout the movie so for example at the start of the film um she's working on a figurine and it's inside of a room and they sort of pan out and she's basically just making the rooms in her house so it's mm-hmm. really trippy and it's a really creative use of camera work and I just really really love that yeah it's kind of like a demented Wes Anderson movie yeah it really is actually now that, <laughs> now that I think about it but I know I, I know I just talked up hereditary but I'm still gonna go with Midsummer just because I love the landscape I love all the buildings and even like the architecture of everything uh I mean that's not necessarily cinematography it's more set building but I'm kind of all lumping yeah. that together yeah. I also love the way um, the really disturbing scene at the beginning of the movie is filmed where it's sort of snaking, the camera is snaking around the house, sort of low to the ground, following the piping up from the car exhaust point. And that's a really disturbing sequence. And I think the cinematography really adds to that sequence. Yeah, it kind of feels like you're creeping through it as like one of those police officers or one of those firemen like discovering this like horrifying sight for the first time. Yeah, definitely. And also like all the fog and the way it's shot and just the fact that the parents just seem like they're sleeping naturally, but they're really not. They're dead. I think that's a, <laughs> yeah, the dead. <laughs> I think that's a really big uh, an important scene. And then the most obvious part of the cinematography that I love is the things he, Ari Aster does with the uh, site at the commune in Sweden, where there's even a scene in it that you pointed out to me, which I didn't notice mm-hmm. immediately, where uh, Florence Pugh's character is walking and you see her dead sister in like the bushes in the background, just made of the leaves and the bushes blowing in the wind. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why these movies really stand out to me because they use film, they use film content and theme to complement the form along with it because with Hereditary, like the cinematography, everything looks like miniatures to coincide with Tony Collette building miniatures. And with Midsommar, a lot of the cinematography was like edited and sort of manipulated in post to like replicate what it looks like when you're on psilocybic mushrooms which is yeah. like what the characters are on. Yep. So it has more of those feelings. And like there are scenes where Florence Pugh is looking at like these Swedish people and they start smiling and they look like Aphex Twin and it's like terrifying. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, Aphex Twin was actually, uh, he made a cameo in this movie. There's also the really <laughs> disturbing sequence where she's looking in the mirror. That's oh one my God. Ari Aster, he loves his mirror shots. He loves mm. to take a really creepy scene and have them see someone in the mirror, whether they're real or not. that's a staple of his two movies the scariest things that Ari Aster has in his movies are things that you notice in the background like when Alex like when when Peter wakes up and you just see Tony Collette like perched in the corner yeah and you're just like oh my god (laughs) yeah she's stanced up in the corner above his bed in hereditary and that's one of the most frightening parts of that movie I think that you don't always notice sometimes you have to wait for a second watch to even see these things and I think Mm -hmm. that's what's really cool about the uh cinematography um so moving on we're going to go with most rewatchable scene and we'll start with hereditary so do you want to go first sure i'm gonna go with the the i am your mother scene where they're all sitting at the dinner table and tony collette has her incredible monologue yeah that scene's just the first thing that comes to mind and it's brilliant and it's acted so well um so just to pick a different one i'll go with the classroom freakout scene uh, where Peter just sort of finally loses his mind where he's being possessed or he's going to be possessed by a demon and his mom has gone nuts and his dad is trying to salvage the situation and he just starts beating his head into the table, sort of having like a seizure, but it's more supernatural than that. 
and it's just so disturbing. It's one of those yeah. things where you can almost picture yourself in that classroom and just how everyone is like kind of looking around the room. No one can even move. They're just like, what is happening? And I think that's one of the best uh, scenes in it. I don't know if it's rewatchable because it is kind of disturbing, but it's mm-hmm. certainly something that stands out in your mind. Uh, so yeah. for Midsummer, um, I'll go first with Midsummer. if you want to think of think of another one. I know we have one that comes to mind immediately, which is the uh, sacrifice off the ledge by the um, elder members of the commune. And they're, it's sort of a part of their culture where like they hit the age 72. And they actually make a joke early in the movie Midsummer, where um, one of the characters is describing the life cycle of members of the cult or the commune to uh, Florence Pugh's character. And he basically is saying like, oh, so from age one to 12, it's this season. And then from 12 to, you know, mid twenties, it's, you know, your summer season, then it's your fall season. And then finally your winter season where you, from age like 55 to 72 or 60 to 72. And then Mm -hmm. he makes a joke, like what happens when you hit age 72? And he just puts his finger across his neck, basically making a joke like, oh, you die. And they all laugh. And then literally 10 minutes later, there's characters who are 72 (laughs) off the ledge and die. And that to me is just definitely the most rewatchable and the most shocking scene uh, in the middle of that, uh, of that movie. It really grabs your attention. Definitely. Where you're like, okay, they're not screwing around with, with what's happening in this film. And um, yeah, I, after letting it sit with me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be kind of unfair here and pick a scene from the Midsommar director's cut. You know what? I'll allow it. (laughs) So yeah, it's, um, there's a, excellent scene that they cut from the movie which uh, what I really like about the director's cut is it has more of what I really love about Midsommar which is the dynamic between Christian and Danny and like more scenes of them like interacting with each other to show more of this like toxic relationship and there's a great scene where it it is I think the reason they cut it was because it took place at nighttime so um they're about to do another sacrifice and um they both walk away and there's a great dialogue scene between the two of them where Danny is arguing with Christian about what's happening. And she essentially just like full out spells it out. She's like, do you not love me anymore? She's like, I understand what's been going on. Like you've been pushing me back and I've been in denial about the situation. It's it's a really hard hitting scene that I wish was in the theatrical cut of the movie because it's so powerful and so effective in what the movie's trying to communicate. Do you think that scene, and then also just generally, um, how much of that is the director deciding to make a creative choice and cut it from the movie for the theatrical cut? And how much of it is production and writers and producers saying, oh, that doesn't really add up? Um, Well, I I mean, considering how much Ari Aster has been vocal about how Midsommar is not a cult movie, Midsommar is a breakup movie. Because I think it more had to do with the producers being like, nobody is going to pay money to see a three hour long movie in the theaters from like an indie filmmaker that isn't something like Avengers or Lord of the Rings or something like that. Right. Yeah, I totally see that, I guess. I I mean, it's a shame, but I do kind of see that. Um, The other thing is that perhaps they liked the idea of, well, there are some other scenes at night, but I guess they probably liked the idea of keeping the daylight and having that be the main theme of the movie. And then also maybe they wanted you to sort of internalize and understand the catharsis without it being like spelled out to you in the movie. Um, That's a very, uh, that's a very valid point. (laughs) Because one thing that is interesting to me and that we've talked about is how in Hereditary at the very end, uh, it's actually dubbed over where they're talking Mm. about payment because they want to explain to the audience uh, exactly what's going on where um, he's inhibiting the male host or, or inhabiting yeah. the male host and he's now becoming this demon. Um, it very much feels like a studio note. It totally does because in the original copy of the movie in like what they showed, supposedly Ari Aster had no voiceover. It was just, you have to on your own understand that he's becoming this, this demon. And I think they do still say, like, Hail Payman in the original cut. Yeah, I think what they do is, like, you are Payman and that's it, basically. And they don't dub over it with, like, an explanation. And I kind of wish they hadn't dubbed over it with the explanation. If I could go back, and maybe there is some cut out there where they don't, 
that's what I would change. I think it's I probably would, like a five hour work print cut. <laughs> yeah. I think that you kind of, I could see why some people need it. And I like the explanation because it, I put it together really quickly because of that, but I kind of would rather in my own head be like, yeah, not have it spelled out for me, but it, it okay. gives I mean, you, it gives you less incentive to rewatch the movie. I think, yeah, that's true. I think it does give you less incentive to rewatch because you don't have to notice things. And I know, I get why they do that because uh, I think a company, a production company would want you to give a good review of the movie and go out with a positive feel for it and suggest it to other people rather than rewatch it another time where they can't make money off of it. Yeah. Um, So I I understand why they did it, but I think I disagree. Yeah. That's why something like Annihilation doesn't like made like no money because Annihilation was one of those movies where it's very much you as an audience member need to go in, you need to work and you need to figure out what the hell's going on, how the hell everything connotates to everything. And uh, it didn't work as well because like it tries to imitate like a Tarkovsky joint essentially. (laughs) Exactly. Well, We'll go now into what's the more rewatchable movie. So not seen, but what's the more rewatchable film? I think I'm going to have to pick Hereditary. Hmm. Actually, let me think about um, it for a second. (laughs) Most rewatchable movie. I've seen Hereditary more times than I've seen Midsommar. So I think what I'm going to do is rewatchable movie, theatrical cut of Hereditary, but director's cut of Midsommar even though I don't even know if there is somewhere a director's cut of Hereditary. But if I were to rewatch either, I'd pick the director's cut of Midsommar. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with the theatrical cut of Hereditary just because I feel like I could rewatch it and still be scared and still be, you know, um, having a feeling of unease, even though I know what's going to happen. But the one thing I will say, the thing that does make Midsommar rewatchable to me is the fact that on the first viewing, you know what's going to happen in Midsummer. I mean, you pretty much know they're all doomed as soon as they enter that commune, or at least most <laughs> of them. So the fact that you're rewatching it and you know that already doesn't really impact anything. So you could technically rewatch it as many times as you, as you want, even having uh, spoiled the original. So I'll give yeah. you that, uh, but I'll pick Hereditary for myself. Um, yeah. So kind of a funny one here we'll go into as one of our last ones. Which has a better cult? which is a better group of cult followers. People sleep on the cult in Hereditary. I, I will say that. Because, like, those those guys are great. It's just, like, all those random sequels where it, like, cuts to... Where it, like, has that great, like, match cut at towards the end of Hereditary where it's like, oh, it's daylight, and then it hard cuts. It's the same shot, but at nighttime. And you can see all the cult followers just, like, spread out in the backyard. And it's, like... And they're all naked and it's like terrifying. I think that adds a huge element to it. Sort of like the mystique and like the lack of explanation about that cult almost makes it better where like Peter's Mm -hmm. walking or uh, Peter's walking up to the treehouse, and, or uh, Tony Collette's character is also walking up and floating up. Oh God. (laughs) Which is by the way, maybe my favorite scene. Maybe the most rewatchable scene in the movie is just the short snippet of Tony Collette floating up. Like levitating up. It looks like Princess Leia. It looks like Princess Leia in The Last Jedi. Yeah, it's one of the funniest scenes. I was laughing at that. I was genuinely laughing. But seeing all the worshippers in the background just like naked in the bushes, it just makes you go like, what is this cult about? Like, what are they doing? You have so many questions. In terms of a cult that I would, like, if I had to choose which cult to be a part of, I would probably pick the <laughs> Midsummer cult. Because, oh, yeah. I mean, Swedish they, people are Yeah, awesome. they're hanging out. It's sunny all the time, and they're just chilling in the beautiful landscape of, like... Eating sweet. pies with pubes in them. Yeah, well, that <laughs> so part doesn't great. sound so great. <laughs> and one thing I, I've noticed in Midsummer that I've brought up, even though there are so many scenes when they're all supposed to be eating dinner, if you look in the background, the characters of the cult are like mimicking eating dinner a lot of the time. A lot of them are just putting a fork down, picking it up with nothing on it and going like just Really? Yeah, I've pointed that out to a couple people where who didn't notice that. And I even on my first watch, I kind of was honing in on that because I, I really wanted to see. And it always felt to me like the only people actually eating during those scenes were like the main characters, were like the people coming in. And I think maybe part of the reason for that is, um, number one, they're all very skinny. 
And the other thing mm-hmm. that I've heard about cults sometimes is they use a lot of things to sort of keep you, uh, keep you in it and keep you in the experience of the cult and believing. And some of the things are psychedelic drugs, like they try. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing. Oh, and yeah, and psychedelic drugs are. Yeah, psychedelic drugs are much more effective if you don't eat as much. Yeah, you don't eat as much, and you're sort of starving yourself and hallucinating. I think that might be part of it. Um, but in terms of which one I would want to be a part of, I think that the Midsummer one is probably better, even though they're very gruesome. I mean, they only do that stuff at the Midsummer Festival, technically. If we want to, yeah, if I and it's only defend, with like people who are like super old, anyway. Murdering cult for a second. Then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're kind of at the end of our show. So the final thing we have to do, and I hate to do it, is what's the better movie? Which one you picking? Which one you going with? Mm. Oh, it's so hard. I think I'm going to go. Yeah, that's my thing because like. Well, I'll I, take the burden off your back and I'll go first if you want. Yes. I pick Midsummer just because I really loved it when I saw it. Maybe it was because I saw it first and maybe I'm kind of. Um, still lingering on it and still lingering on the symbolism of it but I just really like all the symbolism behind it I love how well written it is like you know something's really well written when everything is thought out and everything sort of adds up to the end um, mm-hmm. and that means I have to go with Midsummer. but I, yeah. I mean Hereditary is a close second it's yeah. bumper to bumper I really really liked Hereditary as well <sighs> I think it, it's just so hard because I think if we're, what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to say hereditary if we're judging them both by their, what was released in theaters, because I prefer the Midsommar director's cut over hereditary, but I think overall as a cohesive thing, theatrical wise, I think hereditary is better than the theatrical cut of Midsommar, I think. Well. I mean, you can't go wrong with either one, right, Vincent? So I no, think absolutely. That they're both, they're both yeah. great. They're both, they're both awesome movies. And awesome, if somehow awesome movies. you made it through this, if somehow you made it through this podcast, um, having never seen them, which I don't necessarily recommend, but I guess it's too late now. Yeah. <laughs> then go out and watch them. And if you have seen them, then watch them again because there's a lot yes. you miss on the first watch. I've uh, been really looking into both and rewatching scenes and uh, trying my best to find out all the symbolic. Uh, meanings behind uh the acting and the dialogue so i'm really enjoying that and i highly suggest people to do it yeah. and so also a, um, yeah any any I last thoughts yeah just to do a quick rec- quick recommendation um some of ari Aster's short films uh the strange thing about the johnsons and um munchausen are both two really great ones munchausen it's like a demented version of the first 10 minutes from up and um uh, with um, and the strange thing about the Johnsons is about like uh, a family whose son sexually abuses his father. It's so messed up. <laughs> wow! So, oh my god! Yeah, I'll, it's... I'll be sure to add those to my list. I mean, they sound. Yes. I trust what Ari Aster does. I think yeah. he does a great job making them. So we're gonna do a couple more of these. Uh, hopefully, um, I just titled it as the comparables, or I kind of wanted to make it a play on words like the rewatchables and call it like the comparables. But in general, um, I'm hoping to do a couple more of these uh, movies. And I think, Vincent, uh, you and I will both be really into them. That's all for today's episode. As always, I'm your host, Patrick Green. Special thanks to Vincent Simpson for joining us today. Be sure to email any questions or thoughts you have about the show to popculturenerd2 at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram or Twitter at Patrick underscore Breen. 